In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2006 Zion Missionary Baptist Church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the 2006 Zion Missionary Baptist Church shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This one is Job 19, verse 7, and it reads like this, Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. The reason I like that verse for this podcast is this shooting was actually a domestic violence playing out in church. And it's really one of the one of the top reasons that shootings occur at church. But what I like about this verse here is this is I really feel like this is probably the cry of a great many people that are victims to violence in their homes. They cry out and say, I'm a victim of violence, and yet there's nobody that's coming alongside of them to help them. And so let's get into this a little bit. So this is, um, it was a Sunday morning, February 26, 2006. A young man in his early 20s walked into the Zion Hope Missionary Baptist Church in, De- in Detroit uh, during the service. Looking for Jamaica, his 19-year-old girlfriend and mother of his child who had recently left him. The young man went to the balcony where he knew her mother, Rosa Williams, would be sitting. Sitting down next to her, he asked her where Jamaica was. She ain't here, was the reply. Where is she, he asked. Rosa refused to tell him. The young man left, then came back. He pulled a short shotgun out of his coat and shot Rosa, killing her. A pellet hit a hand of her niece, who was sitting next to her. He also shot and wounded wounded Rosa's sister, then fired towards the platform, only hitting a musical instrument before leaving the building. On the street, the young man tried to hijack a car driven by a woman. Her husband came to her defense and was shot. He died the next day. It was five and a half hours later that police found the shooter. He ran to the other side of a building. Police heard a loud boom and found him dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the chest. So a little bit here about the the killer. Um, Other than his name, race, gender, and age, he was about 22 or 24, depending on the source you look at, there's really little known about him. Um, We do know that he was an abusive person um, and did not have um, and had poor control over his anger. Um, Jamaica had left him because he had, you know, in her words, had viciously abused her. However, according to a Detroit newspaper, uh, responding officers did not arrest him. She filed a restraining order. He countersued, and not long after that is when he showed up to the church and killed her mother and and wounded her aunt. Um, there's no mention in the stories about um, mental illness or criminal history or drug abuse or anything to that effect. However, uh, an unconfirmed thing is that he was long-term unemployed 
and possibly unemployable. Um, so what I kind of take away from all this is this, and I, going back to the domestic violence situation, domestic violence is one of the top two reasons that shootings or violence occur at church. A lot of times we refer to it as domestic spillover. And so it's so important. The other ones, just in case you're curious, is um, the other top one is mental illness. So mental illness and um, domestic violence. And so we have to be prepared for this because the domestic violence is out there, even in our churches. You know, I, you know, we, I know we would all like to say that people that go to church are somehow always above reproach. And really, that's not entirely true. I mean, we... You know, one of the things is not, you know, a bumper sticker, a slogan that maybe you've heard, you know, not perfect, forgiven. And that's really the essential difference. That's the most important difference. And so we have to realize that even though we look across our congregation and we love the people that are there, we have to also understand that they, like us, struggle with sin. They struggle with life. Things go on. And... Um, we need, in the case of domestic violence, we need to have a very real plan to intercede on these people's behalf. So this is kind of your lessons learned in this one. Is The first one is we have to be proactively compassionate, as, um, as Wesley says in his article. I like the idea of intentional ministry. We need to have people, ministers in our church, either the pastor or, you know, different ministry leaders that are proactively getting to know the people in the church. Now, some of us, you know, we have our different volunteer groups, right? If you volunteer to be an usher, you know, you get to know the other ushers and maybe their families. Um, sometimes we have different Bible studies and we get to know the people in those Bible studies. But we also have to be aware of those that are maybe on the outskirts. You know, maybe they come occasionally and uh, maybe there's a relationship with somebody else um, in the church. But we need to make sure that we're reaching out to them and we're getting to know them. And if they're living in a situation like this of domestic violence and or any other problem for that matter, that we are being proactively compassionate, that we are trying to reach out to them and provide them some with some help. You know, in the case of domestic violence, or just let's, let's just start with the most basic, trouble within a marriage. You know, we can provide certain help, right? We can, you know, we can, they can meet with the pastor, or maybe you have a specific ministry for that, or maybe you have an elder, you know, who's been married for about a billion years that would be willing to meet with them with for coffee, or whatnot, and to talk to them and get to know them. And then as violence becomes a situation, then we have to take reasonable steps to safeguard that person, to get them the help that they need. You know, depending on where you are in the country, you know, there are there are services out there, you know, county and state level services. Um, you know, I prefer, well, I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to say that. It would be bad. Uh, it would be a very good idea. <laughs> That's the way to say it. It would be a very good idea that the church itself had a way of helping these people. I really think it's the mission of the church. And by doing that, and maybe some of you are scratching your heads right now saying, well, what does this have to do with church safety? What it has to do with church safety is this, is if we can, if we can get them help before it turns violent, 
then we've succeeded in something. You know, one of the problems with um, crime prevention and, and safety and security, as you well know, is we never know what things we prevent. So it's not like we can turn statistics in at the end of the year and say, hey, pastor, here's everything we stopped. <laughs> no, we, we will never know those things. Um, you know, in the case of counseling and helping marriages that are falling apart, we don't know what we stopped. We don't know what we change. We just have to do it in faith, understanding that these things do work. Um, you know, prior to these kind of programs, violence is higher. You know, things go wrong. We know this, you know, in crime prevention. You know, I, I think about back in the day. Here's a, a, a uh, an example. Um, back in the day, when you went to the movie theater, all the movies started and ended at about the right the same time. And during that, there was lots of break-ins in cars because the bad guys knew that the movie starts at 7 o'clock and doesn't let out until 9, so we got a whole hour, uh, two hours to wreak havoc and break into cars. So then what happened is um, the movie theaters started staggering the start times of the movies. And then, of course, that meant there's more people coming in and out of the parking lot basically all the time. So then, all of a sudden, those, you know, those crimes dip down. Well, I'm asking you to apply all these crime prevention techniques, all of these um, mitigation techniques, before there's even an incident to be measured. You know, we don't need 100 cars broken into every Sunday before we learn to fix it. Let's fix it now and do the prevention stuff, and so hopefully it doesn't happen. Then the next part to the whole lessons learned here is really having a plan for elevated, let's call it an elevated safety posture or an elevated um, awareness. When somebody is going through a domestic violence situation, that information needs to be passed on to the safety ministry. Now, the more information, the better. However, for those that are afraid of pastor confidentiality, I get that. I understand the importance of that. But I would ask pastors and leaders to say, can you at least tell the safety team as generically as something is going on? That's all you have to say is something is going on that's going to require a higher level of awareness and a higher level of bringing up our safety posture so we do not become victims or nobody becomes victims to violence. If you can at least say that, there's no names, there's no details, there's none of that, but at least that's something that the safety ministry can work with. Now, if we can get more information, like who the intended victim may be, or who the um, you know the the killer or the assault of the assailant? What's a good word for that? The bad guy. The know as much about them. That's better, and that gives people more details to work off of. You know, I think here in Minnesota now, there's only loosely connected to all this. Here in Minnesota, uh, permit to carry is a thing, and um, I fully endorse it. I love it, and because of that. You know, and of course, we don't keep records of that. That would be illegal to have records of who's a permit to carry person. Um, so when I run somebody's plate, or when I used to run somebody's plate, I wouldn't know if they were concealed carry or not, um, or permit to carry or not. And so every time I approached a vehicle, I'm 
aware that there could be a gun. And so I say all that to say this is we always have to have a certain level of awareness that something bad could happen any other, you know, on any Sunday or any service or any time event, whatever you got going on. Um, but at the same time, if you have that additional information, you can, now you have evidence, if you will, to support increasing that, you know, that security posture. A good example of a good security posture uh, posture might be things like locking the exterior doors. Now, some churches have problems with this. They rather have the doors unlocked and people can just come very easily and freely and they're afraid that if you lock the doors, you know, they're going to meet a locked door and, and that's going to be discouraging to them. But the thing is, is this, is if you have a good usher team or a good greeting team, those people can work those doors. And if they're standing there with the door open and they're shaking people's hands and welcoming them to the church, you know, how's that change anything other than the door is now locked but open, being held open by somebody standing there. And then if there is an emergency, 60% of all uh, shootings at churches start in a parking lot, they can simply get out of the way of the door or the door closes and it's locked. Um, other things, knowing if you're able to have this information, if you know the intended victim, where do they tend to sit in the church? The bad guy may know where they sit. In this case, he did know where his mother, uh, his mother-in-law, or his girlfriend, but you get my, just, he knew where they typically sat. And that's where he went. And so if we can know where they're at, we can do a couple things. Number one is maybe we relocate them. So one of the things is, is if a bad guy shows up, this is a killer or not a killer, and we're able to lock them outside or they're in the church, one of the things we want to do is we want to take the intended target and we want to put them in lockdown somewhere. Now, there's not an active killer. Obviously, everyone's going into lockdown. But my point is this, is if you remove the focus of the violence, you can sometimes mitigate what they're going to do. I mean, if they come there just to kill the pastor and the pastor's not there because he's been shuttled off into a room someplace, then... If nothing else, we've interrupted their OODA loop, and now they have to decide, well, am I going on a mass killing now, or, or am I just leaving and coming back at another time? You know, that kind of scenario. We want to remove the focus of their hostility if we possibly can. So that's important of knowing the targeted people and where they sit. The other thing is, is they can also be watched in that location. So maybe you have a safety team member that is posted strategically to watch those people and anyone coming up or approaching them is being observed. You know, in this case, if they would have been aware of um, this man and his desire potentially to kill somebody and or just because of the separation. I mean, one of the things you need to know is a, uh, a domestic violence situation becomes more violent as the victim separates themselves from the abuser. And so with her leaving him and going through the whole, um, you know, um, uh, uh, protection order, um, that's, that's going to that's that's gonna be the most dangerous time for her. And so if they would have known, they could have guarded that. 
um, watching for the abuser if you know who they are what kind of draw you know what their physical description is you know what kind of vehicle they drive all of those things can be watched for by a safety team member monitoring the exterior of the church the parking lot or anywhere else that person could drive up and then enter the church um, then of course once they come in in this case it appears as if he had to go out to get the shotgun. And we've seen this a couple times in some of these active killer situations where they come in without their weapon or weapons. They kind of scope out the area. Maybe they make some contact with some people, some confusing contact with people. Then they go back out to their vehicle, retrieve the weapon, and then come back in and do their killing. So if we're an alert safety team, and we're what and we see this kind of thing play out you can imagine so you see somebody pull in maybe it's not it's during the service in this case they pull up they come in they make contact with somebody they go out at that point maybe not so suspicious but now we're paying attention right and now they're grabbing a weapon out of the vehicle if we are watching this thing play out now we know hey you know let's lock down these doors really quick let's call the police Let's get in our safety posture, what we have to do to be protected in this situation, be ready for it. And certainly walking up, you know, I, I, I have to think even a shortened shotgun, sawed off shotgun, there's going to be a process that we might be able to see him taking something at least and putting it into his coat, in his jacket to conceal it. And then we know something's up. Also too, you know, people that carry weapons, even a permit to carry and concealed weapon people, they often do weapons checks. And what that is, is they're always padding their weapon. And so if you see somebody kind of holding or something in their jacket, there's going to be visual cues that something's going on. Um, but other than that, you know, that first approach, they come in, they make contact. If you had somebody there and they see that it's kind of a potentially high energy or a, an anxious and angry uh, contact, um, now we can intercept them and maybe we try verbal de-escalation skills. You know, unfortunately, one of the things we do as a safety ministry is we put ourselves in a position of, of danger, right? So we don't know if this guy has a weapon or not. All we know is that he came in, he had some sort of argument or high stress engagement with somebody. He's now walking out of the building and we're intercepting them to determine what kind of threat that they are and, if possible, use verbal de-escalation to neutralize or mitigate the chance of that becoming violent. And so it is a very dangerous. This is our contact cover. We definitely want to approach this person carefully, engage them, be ready for violence, to have that backup, that cover person there that is also ready to possibly engage a violent intruder if need be. Um, and so we want to be engaging these people, looking at their facial expressions, their body language, the, the tone of the voice, what they're saying, all these things, you know, signs of a hidden weapon. We already covered that. And all of this is intended is to delay or divert him from his violent act. Other than that, um, we have to be prepared to call 911 in all of these situations. You know, I've said this once before. 
I, I understand that in some communities you call the police for a non-emergency situation and it's going to be a long time before they show up. But I'm still going to encourage everybody to feel free to call police. Get them headed there as soon as possible. Even if it's an hour later, I know that's not ideal, but we want to get them on their way because if it changes and we say, hey, it's an active shooter situation, you know, they're already coming or thinking about coming at that point, and we're getting there, there as soon as possible. For the most of the country, though, if you call and say, hey, we have a potentially violent person on the property right now, and because of a domestic violence situation that's been going on outside the church, um, he's here now, she's here now, we're concerned that this is going to get out of control, we need police. You know, and most, many departments are going to have police there in a relatively uh, reasonable time. Now keep in mind, we always have to be ready. I'm not taking away from that at all. I mean, if you think about this scenario from start to finish, it can't be more than 10, 15 minutes. And the shooting itself happened very, very fast. I mean, a lot of you have experience with shotguns. We're talking boom, one to the mother-in-law, boom, one to the aunt, turn it on to the stage, boom. I mean, there's an intent, if nothing else, to kill a lot of people or just kill a pastor. Who knows what that's all about? Boom. And then he goes outside to hijack a car and boom. I mean, it all happens very, very quickly. And that's why we have to be ready. We always have to be ready. And going back to our pastors and our leaders, could you at least please tell us if there is at least something going on? What all? Like I said, it doesn't have to be all the details. I want the details and I'll ask for them and maybe make you feel uncomfortable. But at least let me know, hey, something may be going on that you should be aware of. So let's heighten our level of awareness. So that's basically it. I want to let you guys know, let's see, at the time of this recording, let's see, it's um, we're about 10 days away of launching our new fall semester. And during this fall semester, I'm going to be facilitating all of the courses for you and your team online. So if you enroll your church through the complete training program during, that, during our enrollment period, then I'm going to do the training for you. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to send you a link or the church a link. That link is going to be spread out through your through your safety team, your staff and volunteers, high capacity volunteers, and then they just have to sign on. Or if you prefer, you can set up a classroom time, right? So you're all sitting in a classroom together. You're all ready to go with your computer and your monitor and boom, you sign in and there we are. I do the training for you. Also too, none of the old features have gone away in the complete training program. So you still get access to all of the streaming videos that I'm going to use in the online training events. So you can set your own schedule. And, and instead of me, you play the videos, you lead discussion, you do a question answer section, and then you move on to the next one. And then, of course, you still also get all of the training materials used to create that. And so as time goes on, you start customizing things, you can customize it and you can facilitate classes that are very specific to your procedures. 
So that's coming up really soon in August. So there's a good time to start talking to your team, start talking to the staff, start talking to the leaders. Um, it can be a little expensive. We made it as cheap as possible. So um, make sure you take advantage of this. We're gonna have that a sale essentially. We're gonna save lots of money, some bonuses and all that good stuff. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in today. Um, I'm gonna ask you if you like this video, to like it, to subscribe, share it with your friends, all that kind of stuff. There were a number of people that um, at, you know responded to my call to share it, and I really just want to give them kind of a shout out at this moment. Let's see if I can pull it up real quick and just thank these people. Um, oh, and of course, I'm not gonna be able to do that right now. Bad internet connection down here in my in my gloomy basement. But anyway, a number of you responded. You, you you know, just something as simple as saying, hey, great information, or thank you for sharing, or just thank you, or something like that. All of that tells YouTube. And if you use iTunes or any of these other things, it tells those platforms that we're worthy of being shared. So I really appreciate when you guys do that. You know, share it with your team, you know, from people from other churches. You know, part of it is, I, I know this is going to be a big claim and a big reach, but you know one of the reasons that the gospel spread is because people were excited about the gospel and motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit to run about and tell their friends and family members and and even you know in the case of apostles and probably many others for hundreds of years have spread out and shared the good news. Well. I know church safety is, does not equate to the gospel, but um, when you're excited about something and you share it with your friends and your family and all that kind of stuff, they sense the importance of it. And then they start maybe taking those early steps to start doing these kind of things at their own church or being part of the solution at your church. And so please, please, please share word of mouth means a great deal and actually changes things for us here around here. So thank you again for watching this program and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.